Well, good morning, OCC. How are you doing today? Hey, all you join us online, it's good to have you with us as well. Listen, I got to be honest, it's just fun to have Pink Floyd play when you come out. When you're in Bible college or seminary, you never think that that's one of the things you get to look forward to. So kind of fun. Hey, last week, we kicked off a series here called Making Change. And in this series, we're taking a look at some changes we all need to make so that we can become agents of change for God and become agents of change for good in this world. And the primary area that we are exploring to make change in is with our finances. And I got to let you know, it's always a little unnerving to launch into a series like that because you never know how people are going to respond to it. We don't want to back away from God's word. I'm not nervous about preaching God's word and preaching his truth and tackling tough topics, but... You're never quite sure how people are going to respond. And I was really pleased that this week, several people from this church reached out to say thanks. They said thanks for going headfirst in those topics. Thanks for taking tough topics. Thanks for teaching God's word. And, and I got to be honest, that's not what the preacher always expects to hear when he starts a series on finances and generosity. That's not always what the preacher gets to hear when he starts a series on finances and generosity. And there was one gal in particular who reached out and said, this has been a tough season. It's been a tough year. She's been clinging to her stuff. She's been in a season of worry and fear and just holding tightly to everything. But last week helped her change perspective to start loosening her grip on those things so she could begin clinging a little more tightly to the things of eternity. And she chose to lean into faith and up her trust in God. So if you're one of those people who is naturally inclined to tune out or to turn off your device because of what we're talking about, I want to challenge you. Instead of leaning away, resist that notion, resist that tendency, and lean into trust, lean into God's word, and see what God might have for you today. And with the spirit of Thanksgiving and this season of Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving right upon us, I just want to say thanks to those of you who have always been encouragers, even during this year's and during this challenging COVID season. And I am grateful to be at a church that stays on mission, a church that stays on message, and a church that's willing to embrace tough teaching. So thanks for that. Well, last week, as we began this series we had a change of perspective. And we saw that our change of perspective meant that rich does not mean that we have everything we want, but rich means that we have more than we need. So because of that, most of us realize that we are actually richer than we often give thought to. If we have more than we need, we're pretty rich. And we realize that God is the one who makes us rich. He's the one who gives us every good and perfect thing. God is the giver of what we have. And because of that, God desires for us to be like him. He wants us to be generous givers. That was our change in perspective. So this week, I want to take us back to the very origin of giving in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings, and we can trace the concept of giving back to God to the children of Adam and Eve, a couple guys named Cain and Abel. And we catch up with Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. When Cain and Abel grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Now, there weren't a whole lot of job opportunities at that time. There wasn't a whole lot to do. You, you didn't have MBA programs at the university, and you didn't have trade schools and universities and all that kind of stuff. You simply either worked with crops and plants, or you worked with animals. So Abel worked with animals and became a rancher, and Cain worked with the crops and became a farmer. 
And we expect to see them uh, give. We, we see that in this story. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And notice the words it uses to describe the kinds of gifts they bring. Now, Cain and Abel were probably taught by their parents to give to God. They may have heard directly from God. They may have just known in their gut that the right response to a holy God who has given us life and gives us everything we have is to give back to him. And so they are givers. But something goes wrong in the story. And it's something we don't expect when we first encounter this story. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now we know that the reason God did not accept Cain's gift, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Cain worked with the ground. He had crops and plants and fruit. And so he offered God a fruit basket and a fruit cake and a veggie salad. And God said, whoa, 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 where's the bacon, man? Where's the beef? You know, I'm a carnivore. I can't accept that. No, it had nothing to do with meat versus veggies like some people might suspect. Cain and Abel's gifts were not a competition between the two, but contrasting their gifts does help us understand what happened in that moment. The problem with Cain's gift was quality and sequence. Cain gave some of his harvest to God. Cain's like a lot of people who say, well, I always give something to God. I always give something to God. And then they hope that something is enough. But Abel was different. Did you catch the words it used to describe Abel's gift? Abel gave the best of his first to God, the best of the firstborn. That means Abel gave God the best and the first. The message paraphrase of this says, Abel gave God the choicest cuts of meat. I like that. He gave God the first in sequence. He gave God the first in quality. And that's what God wants from us. Abel asked, what's the most I can do? While Cain, his brother, said, what's the least I can do? And the difference between those two questions is everything. Because we know, we know that the quality of a gift matters. Later this week, some of you are going to host a Thanksgiving meal. Probably not as many of you are hosting this year as you would in previous years without COVID. And those of you who will host probably aren't going to host quite as many people as you otherwise would have in years without COVID. Now, some of you, because of the governor's mandate that you can have more people at a funeral than you can at a family gathering, are going to have a funeral for your pet turkey. And that's going to be your excuse to get a whole lot of people together. And you're going to have fun there. But no matter how you do it and you host people, you know how that goes. If it's just friends and family, you can kind of relax a little bit. But if you were hosting a certain somebody, somebody who's super special to you, maybe it's the top boss in the company, maybe a foreign dignitary, maybe it was somebody who is that famous person you've always admired and respected, and they're going to come to your home for dinner. Would you, would you just give them the leftovers? When that person comes in, that super special guest you have, would you say, hey, there's some paper plates and paper towels and some plastic silver in the pantry. You go ahead and grab what you need. The leftovers are in the fridge. Sorry, I ate the best parts of the turkey. I'm a dark meat guy. I ate all that. The legs are gone, but you can root through whatever's left. The, the crusty stuff on top of the green bean casserole, you know, the really good part? <laughs> That's gone. Sorry. And uh, the brown sugar coating with the marshmallows on top of the sweet potatoes. Well, the sweet potatoes might not be so sweet anymore because 
Yeah, I ate all that off yesterday too. We, we had a couple rolls. I tried to heat them up, but I burnt the bottom and they're cold now and they're kind of crusty and hard. But you, just help yourself, get what you want. If you were to say that to the person, is the first thing going to feel very honored? Are, are they going to feel like this special guest? Are they going to feel like they're appreciated? Probably not much. When we host somebody who's special to us, we put our best foot forward. We have the nice silverware out. We put out the nice plates, the nice glasses. Might even some of you light the candles in the middle of the table. And you want the food to be fresh and warm and brand new. And what do we do? When the guest is there, we have the guests go first, don't we? We give them honor and appreciation. So if we're just giving lazy leftovers to the guest of honor, the guest doesn't feel very honored, do they? See, our gifts convey a message. Our gifts convey a message. We we say it's the thought that counts, but we know that when the gift is thoughtless, that counts too. If you're a young guy and you're going to propose to your gal, you don't propose at Taco Bell if you can afford Ruth's Chris. Or if you're really classy, you get some takeout from a sub shop. Like I did. Because I couldn't afford Ruth's Chris back in the day. So our giving matters. What we give matters. When it comes to our gifts for God, we want to pretend that quality and sequence don't matter. We just give them whatever we feel like, whatever's convenient. But it does matter. It matters if we give God our first and best, like Abel, or if we give him our leftovers, like Cain. What we give, how we give it, the priority we put on giving matters. It matters. Look again at Genesis 4. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now this tells us something about the relationship between the giver and the gift. It tells us something that a lot of people don't like to hear. It tells us something that a lot of us don't want to hear, but it tells us something we all need to hear. That God evaluates the giver by the gift. God evaluates the giver by the gift. If we're giving God our leftovers, that's a reflection on us. If we're giving God our first and best, that's a reflection on us. Now, you may have been taught that passages like this on giving from the Old Testament, well, that's Old Testament, that's Old Covenant, and that doesn't matter anymore. We're in the New Testament era. And so that's all done away with, and and this giving stuff is different. But I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews was a book written in the, a letter written in the New Testament era to the church. And so this is the early church talking about these same principles. The author says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Next slide. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And that's really what it's all about, faith. Where's our trust? Where's our faith? Abel put his faith in God. said, God, I'll give you my first and best, and I'll trust that you'll take care of me when I do that. Cain gave conveniently some of what he had. But this is the early church saying this. So everything that this passage in Genesis meant in the Old Testament era, it still means in the New Testament era. It's still true for you and I today. Abel's gift was pleasing to God partly because it was the first of what he had. He brought God the first of what he had. Do you realize how many times the Bible instructs God's people to give their first to God? Give the first of your crops. Give the first of your flocks. Give the first of your herds. Give the first of your produce. And this is the principle of 
first and best. Last week we saw we needed to change our perspective, to learn a new perspective that we are richer than we realize because God has given us more than we need. Well, this week we need a change in priorities. And our change in priority is not that God should get our leftovers, but that God deserves my first and my best. After all, he is God. If he is who the Bible says he is, if he is who I believe him to be, if he is the giver of all good and perfect gifts, if he is the giver of life and the giver of grace and the giver of salvation, then God deserves my first and my best, not my leftovers. So this principle of first priority is prominent in giving passages throughout the Bible. We see in Exodus chapter 23, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. The very best of the first. That's a high bar for my giving. The very best of the first goes to God. And notice where this says to take the very best of your first. To the house of the Lord your God. In the New Testament context, that's the church. The very best of the first comes to God's house. Verses like this are the reason I'm not comfortable carving out from my first fruits offering to God stuff for other giving. My wife and I, we support different missionaries personally. And we support various parachurch ministries and organizations. We give money to Bible colleges and Christian universities. And we help support kids who are in poverty. And we support staff on different Christian organizations. And I don't tell you that to get a pat on the back or to get you to look at me. <clears throat> I would hope that is what you would expect from your preacher, that we would be generous in giving like that. That's what God expects from all of us. But my wife and I, after we encountered this passage and passages like this realized that we didn't feel right carving out from the gift we would otherwise give to the church so that we could give to those other organizations. Instead, our first fruits, our first and best goes to God's house, to the church. And those other gifts are above and beyond from the other that would otherwise go to us, we give to God. And so we give our first and our best to the church. It's never felt right for us to take from the church so we can give to other things. We give to the church and then we give to those other things. Now the most indirect, obvious way we can make God the priority with our first fruits for most of us is in our income. And this is the principle that the Old Testament believers operated by. When the Old Testament believers gave to God, they did not know. When they gave God the first of their harvest, they didn't know what the rest of the harvest was going to be like. They didn't know how good or bad it might be. When they gave God the firstborn out of their flocks and herds, they didn't know how many offspring the animal might have. And they trusted God. And that's what God desires from you and me, that we would trust him. That's what he desired from his people back then, is that they would trust him. And this was the way he set up for them to demonstrate their trust. This is how we learn to trust God. We learn to trust God with the tithe. That's how we trust. It's not the only way we trust God, but it's a predominant way that we trust God because the tithe, what we do with our money, is tied to so many of the other things that would contend for our heart. And so we learn to trust God with this. And trust God and increase of faith is really what it's all about. So this is where we start. This is the beginning point. And some of you are wondering, well, what's the tithe? The tithe is simply from a Hebrew word that means one-tenth. So everybody say one-tenth. 
All right, we had about a tenth of you say one tenth. So those of you online, you say it with us. Those of you in the room, say one tenth. One tenth. Right, there you go. That's the tithe. One tenth is the tithe. So when we talk about the tithe, that's what it means. And passages like that say we bring the tithe, the tenth, to the house of the Lord, and then above and beyond goes elsewhere. So in passages like Leviticus, we see this play out. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. That's already his, isn't it? I mean, God is the owner of everything. God's the giver of all good things. So it already belongs to him. We're just giving back to him. And because it belongs to the Lord, it must be set apart to him as holy. Now, holy is a word that we sometimes think of as like being way spiritual and and it is in a sense but really all holy means is that it's set apart for a specific use it's set apart for special use and so we set one-tenth apart for special use by god and his church and that's what the tithe means so tithe one-tenth in other words to do some simple math this means if i make a hundred dollars ten dollars goes to church if I make $1,000, $100 goes to God. If I make $10,000, then $1,000 goes If I make $100,000, then that's right, that's a big check if you're still underwriting checks. And that seems big and bold and courageous and audacious. It seems like a lot. In some ways, I guess it is. But God wants us to trust him a lot. And we know that when he does, or when we do, when we trust him, He will take care of us and supply everything we need and more. Now, I want us to go back to that concept that some people would say, you know, like we looked at the passage in Hebrews a moment ago, and I said, well, hold on. The tithe, that's really an Old Testament concept. I I get the generosity thing. I get the giving. But tithe, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. After Jesus came, we're in the New Testament. That's kind of done away with. Kind of. You're right. But, But the New Testament handles the tithe kind of like Jesus handles other Old Testament commands. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to the people and says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, man, that's like the entry point. That's not the end point. Because here's the deal. Like if you even look at somebody with lust, like you're, you're lustfully looking at that person, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And that's where it matters. The heart is what matters. So don't do that. And it says, and you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But again, like that's easier. It's, it's easy to keep from killing the person. But if you've thought about it, if you have such anger and hatred in your heart, you've already broken that command. And the heart is what matters. You've heard it said, don't give somebody a punishment that is beyond what they deserve for their crime. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Don't go beyond that. Don't make the punishment exceed the crime. But I'm telling you, that's like the entry point. Like fair and just punishment, that's the low bar, not the high bar. I'm telling you, you don't even have to punish at all. Instead, return mercy, return grace, and turn the other cheek. And then throughout the New Testament, we see this principle that basically tells us the tithe. You've heard it said, give a tenth to the house of the Lord. But I tell you, that's the beginning, not the end. That's the start, not the finish. That's the floor, not the ceiling. Be generous. And the New Testament picture of generosity is way beyond the tithe. Way beyond. It says this is where we begin, not where we end. This is where we learn to trust God. This is how we learn to trust God. This is the entry point. And that's what God wanted. He wanted them to have faith in him, to trust him, to believe in him. So, How do we do that? Well, this means if you still write checks with 
chisel and stone, if you're one of those people who's still scratching out the checks, then your first and best check goes to God. If you get paid by direct deposit and your money goes to the bank, then you set it up so that as soon as that money goes there, the first thing that happens to that money is that part of it is given to God. The first and best goes to God. That means that if you get paid an increase at the beginning of the year, if you get a raise at the beginning of the year, that you go in and you adjust your giving to match your level of getting so that you're not tithing on what you made five or six years ago. If you're an electronic giver, sometimes we forget to do that at the beginning of the year, but we set a reminder to say, oh yeah, I need to revisit my giving. This means if you text to give, the principle of first priority of giving to God first and best, principle of first priority means that we set a reminder to give to God early in the week. If you get paid on commission or your income fluctuates, you might not be able to to determine up front how much you will give, the exact amount, but you can determine what percentage you give and you can determine when you will give it first. That's the principle of first priority. Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can give to God because I've got all these other obligations. I've got all these things. I don't know if I can give to God first when all these other things are claiming for my attention, my time, my money, my resources, my effort. And so there's a couple of things that might mean. That might mean that maybe we have too many other obligations. Or that might mean that we just don't have enough trust in God. Now, I know how challenging this can be. I have lived in tough seasons. I have been at times where we didn't have much at all. And God's word speaks to how we handle our money in all seasons at all times. Not just in our giving, but also how we manage it. And so I want to encourage you to be here next week, especially if you're one of those people who you're kind of having a hard time and you're kind of upside down or even sideways in your money and your finances. We've got a special guest who's going to be with us next week who's going to offer us some money management principles and some planning principles from God's word. That's not the only thing we're going to talk about. That's a significant part. And it's for you. It's to help you out. So I want to encourage you to be here with us next week for that. But here's the deal. As we continue to give to God, what we learn is how to trust him. And we learn that he is trustworthy. See, that's the other part of that phrase, of this priority. That The priority is that we give God our first and best. The other half of that is that we trust him to bless the rest. If we're giving God our first and best, that means we're going to trust him to bless the rest. So I want you to say that with me. Online, in person, let's read this together. We give God our first and best, and we trust him to bless the rest. Let's read it again. We give God our first and best, and we trust him to bless the rest. One more time with me. We give God our first and best, and we trust him to bless the rest. Here's what I found to be true in my life. There were times when I was a convenient giver. There were times when I was a lazy giver and an inconsistent giver. When I got married, my wife was consistent contributor to the church and beyond. And so I learned from her back in our early days of marriage, 20, a little over 20 years ago. And what I have found to play true in my life is that it is better to live on 90% of my income that's blessed than 100% that's not. It's better to live on 90% of my income knowing I've honored God and God's then going to honor me than to live on 100% of my income not honoring God and have God not bless that. Shoot, it's better to live on 80% of my income that's blessed than 100% that's not. Because what happens is we look at it and we say, man, 100%, it looks like it should cover everything, but somehow it doesn't. But then when 90% or 80%, it looks like it should not cover everything, and somehow it does and more. That's just the way it works in God's economy. 
It's awesome, it's beautiful, and it's blessed. So we trust God. We give him that 10%, and we trust him to bless the other 90 or more, and he does. So here's what this looks like in other contexts. Back when the Israelites had been rescued from the land of Egypt, and Moses had led them from Egypt away from uh, oppression and slavery, and they went through the Red Sea, right? the Red Sea parted, they went through on dry ground, and then they were supposed to go to the promised land, but they kind of upset God on the way there, so they wandered around the desert for about four decades, and during that time, right at the end of that time, Moses passes away, and his right-hand guy, Joshua, steps up. And Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. And God says, Joshua, I want you to lead the people into the promised land, into this land that I have given you, the land of milk and honey, the land of blessing beyond blessing. And says, here's how I want you to do it. It says, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, the big heavy gold Ark they're carrying. Tell them to do this. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now, that doesn't seem too bad. Because to get from where they are in the wilderness to the promised land, they have to cross the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River actually isn't that big of a river. At normal times, pretty easy to cross. Like, they could cross it pretty easy. It says just step into the river. Now, that might not, on normal circumstances, be that bad. Until we read verse 15. It was harvest season, and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. Translation, it is flooded. And with the Jordan floods, it floods like crazy. There are parts where you've seen flooded rivers, like spreads out really wide when you got floodplains. But not every part has the plains around it to flood. Sometimes you've got these high banks on each side of the river. And what happens then? Well, the water doesn't spread out real deep and shallow. It gets, sorry, real shallow and wide. It gets deep. And so when it's really deep in those spots, it moves really, really fast. So it's rushing by like this crazy rapids. And that's where the Israelites are. That's where they're supposed to cross. That's where God said, I want you to cross the river there. So they come up and they're at the edge of the thing. It says, you got to step into the water. You priests lead the way. I'm just going to tell you, your church leaders, your elders, your staff, senior staff, The stuff we're talking about in this series, we believe, and we do. So we lead the way in this. I'm not going to ask you to do something that we are not willing to do ourselves. We believe this. We live by this. So here the Israelites are. They come up, and the priests, they're carrying the ark. And and so you got to hold on to this thing, and you got to step into the water. And so they come to the edge, and they say, hold on. Like, this isn't like this shallow part where we can just kind of wade in and get our toes in. He tells us, take a few steps in. And there's no like, okay, I'm going to hold on to you and I'm going to hold on to the bank. No, because I'm carrying the ark. So when I go in, I'm in. And it's like this hill that goes down. So when I take three steps in, that means like I'm going to be underwater. This water's whoosh, it's rushing by. It's crazy. There's faith. So you know what God's telling them? God's saying, listen, if you're going to do this, the reason I want you to do this is I don't like you in this way. I'm getting rid of you. You just been. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the reason I want you to do this is so you trust in me. Put your faith in me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. You got to get your feet in that water. You say you believe. I want you to show it. You say you believe. Well, belief without any movement? What kind of belief is that? The movement of our belief is faith. Trust propels us, compels us to move forward. And to say, because God is God and he is trustworthy, I'll step into the water. 
And when we do that, when we step into the water, check out what happens. As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up until the river was dry. Until the river was dry. God says, you step into that river and watch what's going to happen. You step into the river, I got you. But you got to step into it first. How many of us are just standing right on the edge of the river? Our feet dangling over. Saying, God, there's, there's a flood. There is a flood of bills. There's a flood of debt. There's a flood of problems. There's a flood of chaos. God, where are you? When are you going to show up? God, when are you going to stop this flood? There's supposed to be a flood of blessing. Where is it, God? Where is it? I'm at the edge. Show up, God. Come on. And God's just standing there saying, whoa, my child, my child. You got this all backwards. You just don't get it. Well, let me help you understand. I'm already here. The blessing is right in front of you. You just got to take a step. You just got to take a step. Church, that's what this series is about. It's far less about what you give. It's way more about your faith and how you trust. I'm confident that some people are wondering, some people are questioning, like, Fitz, what are you thinking? In this season, with this economy, in this year, in 2020, in the COVID situation, this time, this season of all times, you're going to talk about giving to God? Really? Yeah. Because we learn to trust God with this. And there is no better time to trust God than right now. What kind of preacher would I be if I said, well, just wait to trust God till later. Wait till it clears up and then trust God. You want it to clear up, it's going to clear up by trusting God. That's how you get through. This is about trust. This is about faith. But you gotta step into that river. You gotta, you gotta take a step forward and see what God will do. And when you do, a whole different kind of floodgate opens up. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. December 6th, we have a crazy, bold, radical, courageous opportunity for this church. Mommy can tell you what it is. I'm just going to tease it right now. But do whatever you need to do to be with us on December 6th. Some of you going to be traveling next week. Watch us online. Jump in online. Jump in here. December 6th, make sure you're here as we wrap up this series because it is a crazy, bold, radical opportunity for all of us to move forward in faith together. But listen, when we do... God just opens up the floodgates of his blessing. And that blessing comes through faith. Faith is the doorway for all good things from God. We stand on the edge, say, God, I want you to show up. And God says, I'm here. You just step forward, just take that step. And that's faith. And by faith, that's what opens us up to the good things from God. That's what opens our hands to receive. We read in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the doorway to receive the grace of God given to us by Jesus Christ. If you've never stepped forward in that, if you've never opened that door of faith, that's the prominent one. Forget about everything else. I mean, you need Jesus in your life, and that's how you get it. But you receive his grace by faith, by trusting in him. You receive mercy by faith. 
Faith is the doorway to mercy. It's the doorway to grace. Faith is the doorway to salvation. Faith is the doorway to forgiveness. Faith is the doorway to blessing. So you're going to receive it when you step forward believing. But a standstill kind of belief is not a God-honoring belief, and that's not faith. Faith is an action moving forward. And here's the cool thing. When we do that, when we trust God with our first and best, and we trust him to bless the rest, then God uses us to become the blessing to other people, and that's the best blessing we're going to have. Let's check this out. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, and it holds true for us. He says, God's going to generously provide everything you need. Maybe not everything you want, but he's going to give you everything you need, and that means you're rich. But here's why he's going to do it. Here's why God's going to do that. So that... So that you can always be generous. God will always be generous to you so that you can always be generous to other people. God's love, his grace, his mercy, his blessing flows to you so it can flow through you. It comes to you to move through you so you can be a blessing. And then Paul says, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, when we, the church, you've given it to the church, and the church takes those gifts that you've given to those who need them, then your generosity is going to well up It's going to result in thanksgiving to God. And this holds true for us. When we all trust God with our first and best, and we bring our first and best to the house of the Lord, and we trust, then together as a church, we could do way more than any of us can do as individuals. And together, we make some pretty awesome things happen. We trust him with our first and best. We trust him to bless the rest, and we bring it here. And then together as a church, God does incredible things. Church, here's some of the things God does. This week... 200 more than 200 families are going to gather for thanksgiving meals because you made it happen families who otherwise would not have a thanksgiving meal are going to get together at a table thousands of people going to gather around tables because your generosity made it happen and some of those people are going to be grateful that there's food and some of those people are going to be grateful that there's a church that gave it but some of those people because we got to share with some of those people and we got to speak with some of those people we got to pray with some of those people some of those people many of those people they're going to give thanks to god because of you and some of those people just might end up here and some of those people might end up shoulder to shoulder with us in eternity and that's what it's about that's what our generosity is about that's what we do the last few weeks honduras we support some missions down in honduras And Honduras has been ravaged by two Category 5 hurricanes within two weeks. It's crazy. And you add that to being a developing country in the global pandemic, they were already a mess. And now, like, it's just nuts. And the flood, I mean, we talked about the flood there in the Jordan River. They're flooded out. And so we were able to send a generosity blessing to them because of your generosity here at the church. So you bring that to the church. You bring that into the house of the Lord. And we're able to do some incredible things. And in the name of Jesus, people are giving thanks to God because of you. Church, that's worth an amen. That's worth celebrating. And today, this week, as you head into Thanksgiving, and as you look at the things you're grateful for, I hope that you can say, man, I am blessed because I've got more than I need. I have a lot to be thankful for because I've got more than I need. And because I've given back, other people are now experiencing the blessing of Christ through me. That's what this is about. That's why we give. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're generous, because that is the heart of our God. As we trust in him, he uses us, and he works through us to bring his blessing, not just to us, but through us to a world that desperately needs him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you are a good and gracious God, that you are a generous giver, and you have given us way more than we deserve and even more than we need. And so in you... We are richly blessed.
And so, Father, we confess our need for you. And we confess that sometimes we cling a little too tightly to the things here. And sometimes you are not our first priority. So, God, help us to reorient our heart and to reprioritize our heart and to put you in the first and best spot there to give you our first and best, to trust you with the rest, and that through that you will use us as a blessing to this community, to this church, to the people around us, and to people all over this world. So Jesus, we offer this in your name. Have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in us and work through us. Amen.